Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to 1001 Best History Storytellers. We're going to be speaking here in just a minute with well-known author and television and radio news commentator Brian Kilmeade about his new book, Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers the Texas victory that changed American history. The siege of the Alamo and the victory of the Texians at San Jacinto in the days afterward that gave Texians their independence from Mexico is without a doubt one of the most pivotal moments in American history. In March of 1836, the Mexican army led by Santa Ana massacred more than 200 Texians and fellow countrymen who believed that freedom from a dictator was worth fighting for. These settlers who called themselves Texians, had been encouraged to come and buy land and raise their families in the area we now call Texas, not expecting to have to bow to any ruthless kings or dictators. It just wasn't in their nature. For them, Texas was the land of second chances. In this interview, we'll cover the big picture, but leave the siege of the Alamo, the massacre of Fannin's men at Goliad, and Santa Ana's defeat at San Jacinto for the book to tell, and it does that better than any book on this subject that I've ever read. Brian Kilmeade is, without a doubt, one of today's best history storytellers. Today we're very lucky to have Brian Kilmeade back with us at 1001 Heroes. Brian's got a new book out. That book is Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. And this has taught me more about Texas uh, after 1832 than I think any other book I've ever read. Brian, it's great to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you, John? Uh, doing great and staying super busy. Tell us a little bit about the book. What inspired you to write this one? The last one we talked about was Andrew Jackson and the Battle of New Orleans. It seems to me like this is a pretty good follow-up, as uh, Sam Houston was one of Jackson's protégés. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, he's 20 years old, and he wants to do what his dad did, and that's uh, join the military. He goes in as a private, big, strong guy, kind of a relatively well-known family. And he decides, I'm going to go and volunteer for this war. And he, when he volunteers, the war happens. He ends up serving under Andrew Jackson, quickly rises up the ranks. And I begin kind of through Andrew Jackson on purpose. I want to give people the sense of a continuation of Andrew Jackson and the miracle of New Orleans by putting you in the, in the battle against the Creek Warriors, a very tough American Indian tribe that had just wiped out a bunch of settlers who were unarmed at the time. And they had, they had uh, actually sided with the British. And Jackson knew if I don't get rid of these Creek warriors, I'm never going to get to New Orleans. And I got to make this a fight just between us and the British. No more Indian tribes. So they take them on. They do exceedingly well, but they got to finish them off. And the reason they do well is guys like Sam Houston. And he gets uh, immediately hit with an arrow, fights through it, 
starts bleeding so much they pull him off, goes back into the battle to help win the battle before uh, before sun goes down and gets shot in the shoulder. They think he's going to die. So they don't even say, why torture this guy? He's not going to live the night. So they let him They let him bleed. He survives. He recovers. He goes up, and he realizes it's great to have courage, but, man, i got to be smart about it. And number two, they bring him to Washington, which is burned to the ground thanks to the British. And he realizes how fragile our democracy is and our country is. And those two life lessons live with him and shape what he would do the rest of his life. If you would, would you describe the situation in Texas in 1832 when Houston first stepped foot there? I mean, we're looking at Texas right now. It was a land of opportunity. And even though America was, prices for real estate was going up. The competition was growing, uh, was going up. A lot of people running from the law or bad marriages wanted a fresh start. So a lot of them ended up in Texas. Go to Texas, GTT, going to Texas. So a lot would go down there, mostly Americans. Now, they, they immediately started going down formally when Moses Austin, Stephen F. Austin's father, goes down and cuts a deal with the Spanish, who ran the whole area at the time. And they said, hey, listen, I got some Americans who want to come down here. What do you think? She says, well, I'll give you some land. If you can get them down here, we need this place populated. We need it productive. I'll give you tax-free for a while. And if you make them Catholic, you don't bring slaves, you can do it. So Moses Austin's about to execute, gets in some trouble, has some health issues. Stephen F. Austin ends up taking over as his dad's final wish. And he starts organizing, and it starts thriving. The land of milk and honey. People start coming down by the droves in a very organized, productive way. Well, that was fine. When Mexico gets their freedom, they still allow this Texans area, these Texian areas and these Texians to be left alone and just to be a part of what is this new Mexico. But when Santa Ana takes over, he said, we're not ready for liberty. Our people are not ready for freedom. I'll be making this a dictatorship. Thank you. Which doesn't fly. I don't know if you've heard with Americans. But little by little, as they tried to broker some type of peace, they becomes abundantly clear that uh, there's going to be no budging here. They're going to make them be living in an oppressive Mexican society. So it's going to be a battle for freedom. And that's where we pick up in Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. Their willingness to fight led to a uh, total massacre at the Alamo where tremendous heroism was displayed, where just about 180 were able to stand up between 3,000 and 5,000 troops for over 10 days. And they all would ultimately lose their lives. But fighting with such bravery it would inspire Texas to fight for their freedom. Sam Houston was in charge what was left of an army. But he knew they weren't trained. He knew they were raw. They had courage. But they also knew that they uh, had lives. They weren't getting paid much. And many of which were wondering, is this really worth it? Fighting for freedom? Not even to become a state of America? But they would. Sam Houston would back up, back up, back up until they were ready to fight. And I don't want to give away exactly what happens, but in the end, it would be a, a, a victory like in, in such a way that many people thought was unthinkable. If you put it into a movie script, they would say it's got to be more realistic, but this actually happened. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Yeah, it was, it was very similar to George Washington in the Continental Army in a lot of ways, where he was just getting his butt kicked 
uh, all throughout uh, the area from New York all the way down to Pennsylvania. And he was backing up. At one point, he was just trying to stay ahead of things and back up and back up and back up. And the same thing here with Houston. Yeah, I mean, there basically was a 300, there were 300 men at Goliad. And as they went to leave to go to help out, uh, they had all types of problems dispatching, problems with their wagons. I thought, well, we're going to get caught in between. And the way I hear it, uh, you know, it's going to be fruitless anyway. So they went back. So in the hope, Travis kept writing letters, hoping for some relief. It wouldn't happen. And in the end, Sam Houston was actually dealing with the Cherokees, trying to keep them out of the fight. And he's uniquely qualified to to uh, be trusted by the Indians because he lived with them for a while. Now, Houston had risen to a pretty good position. Wasn't he governor of, of Tennessee before he ever went to Texas? Yeah, and he was basically on the launching pad to be president uh, under Jackson. He got caught in this scandal, this horrible thing called a divorce. And the divorce in those days was a big deal after just a month. And he had to go down and he basically lost his position, gave it up at a humiliation, and then went back and lived with the Indians again. He'd re-enter the fray. As a representative of the Indian, American Indian community, he gave a little bit of a, a tussle with another lawmaker, and that trial made him famous again. But he decided to take that fame and take his persona and prestige and bring it to Texas because he saw there was opportunity there and maybe a chance to deliver with he and uh, Jackson had always talked about, Texas as a state. But the problem was for many people is they said that's going to be an international incident because Mexico is now its own country. The problem for Jackson and Houston to swallow, as well as Jefferson, was they believed they got Texas and Louisiana purchase and was yep. bargained away by John Quincy Adams. Yeah, Jefferson thought it was in the purchase. It turns in 1803, was it? And it wasn't. Yeah, Louisiana purchase, where we, we basically doubled or uh, doubled the size of the country in, in one agreement. We wanted to get New Orleans. We ended up with uh, uh, another country on top of that. And they thought Texas was included. And they made a deal where essentially the Spanish said, we'll leave Florida, you leave Texas. This was a really well-written book and a great story. What, one you. thing that impressed me so much was there were so many big names uh, that we still know today that were involved in this story in a big way. You had, uh, you had Davy Crockett, you had Jim Bowie, you had uh, Santa Ana, you've got Travis, you've got all these, all these people who were in Houston and Austin, you've got all these people who are major personalities. Tell us a little bit about Jim Bowie and how he started out and how he gained his fame and why he went to Texas. I mean, Jim Bowie was a was a real tough guy. He would take on all comers, sometimes ones that didn't deserve it. And he'd always come out on top. You know, the Bowie knife, that wasn't a coincidence. That was named after him and his family. And he was somebody who was known for his valor and, and willingness, also an entrepreneur in his own right. So he didn't live a perfect life. He also had some tragedy with the loss of his family to uh, disease. And he was trying to remake himself as well. So he found himself uh, meeting Houston. And Houston asked him a favor. Houston said, would you do me a favor? These guys at the Alamo, I told them not to take the Alamo at the, the fortress there. I told them not to hold it. They're still holding it. Would you go down there, Jim, and tell them to get out? Because uh, it's strategically, we don't need it. But by the time he got there, Jim Bowie, he looked around and he said, these guys have fortified this to such a level and they're so dedicated. Why would we give this up? So he got some supplies. He ended up staying and not executing the orders that Houston gave him. William Travis, he's a lawyer with a family, has a fallout with his family, comes back, tries to remake himself as a lawyer and tries to get his small business going and uh, signs up for, to fight for Texas's freedom. 
and he ends up at the Alamo. He ends up as a senior officer in command along with Bowie. They had a little bit of a battle there. But when Bowie got very sick and had to go into sick bay and not really fight in the Battle of the Alamo, it was William Travis who took over. For Davy Crockett, he lost an election. He got on the wrong side of Andrew Jackson. And he said, you know, basically, you can have it. I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm going to Texas. And he was pretty famous at the time, 35 years old. There already been a book about him. People talked about him. Great storyteller, loved to play the fiddle. And he showed up. He said, no, just count me as a private. And it gave everyone a sense that, you know, this is going to be good. We got three of the biggest names in the country fighting in this one fortress, which was really uh, was really a seminary. When the Mexicans actually showed up and surrounded the place and they saw the extreme numbers, they realized they were in trouble. So they made an overture and said, hey, guys, why don't we just I'll leave and you could have this. Let's just call it a day. And basically a black flag went up from Santa Ana and says, no, we're going to go for total victory. Uh, you surrender, we're going to wipe you all out. They wouldn't surrender, but they ended up wiping them all out. So Davy Crockett's legacy would end there. He'd be the last person to die at the Alamo, we believe. And William Travis was one of the first after they breached the wall. Yeah, whose testimony was it that you used with regard to uh, the end of the fight and Crockett? Uh, it was Pena's, and he was an aide to Santa Ana, and he saw this man, they called him Cricket, and he goes, I believe that's Davy Crockett, and he tried to plead that he does not get, uh, that he would not get killed. He said, listen, Santa Ana, you're in the fort. We got this already. You're letting women and some servants survive and live to tell the story. Why not let Crockett? And they said, what don't you understand about total victory? And they killed him right on the spot. They put the bodies and piled them up and then burned them all to the ground. And they wanted to send the message, if you fight, you die a horrific way. And instead of them making the Texians quit, it actually brought people into the fight. On the military and intelligence gathering side, who would you say was the real hero of the whole campaign? Well, I mean, there was quite a few. Would you, would you agree that Def Smith was it? Def Smith was somebody who was slow to come over to the Texians' cause, but when he saw the way they treated him and saw the way they were pillaging towns, he came over. So he would be the sentinel, he would be the scout, and he was deaf, and he was well-respected in the area. And he was able to find out exactly, and fearlessly, by the way, was able to telegraph where everyone was coming, find out what they were doing, find out the hierarchy of the officers, and would help them figure out that they had to fight him in San Jacinto, and that would be the perfect place to go because it would be virtually surrounded by water. You either go through Sam Houston or you go for a swim. Santa Ana couldn't swim, nor could his people, but they did need some rest. And when they rested, Houston hit him. Yeah, and, and you pointed it out pretty well uh, with uh, Travis and with Sam Houston that, that Texas was the land of second chances, wasn't it? It was. I mean, it's hard to believe people were coming to America for a shot at the new world. You know, if you were a, a farmer if, and you were not the oldest, you didn't have the farm, they basically told you to go somewhere else. And they go, what if I don't even, I don't go next door, what if I go to the new world? But then in America, things started getting very competitive. And people going out west, that would have tremendous risk, obviously, because you're settling a land, many of which was occupied by American Indians, some of which was vacant. There were no supermarkets then. There was no guarantee of success. Smallpox was running rampant. So many people thought between the land, the richness of the soil, and the, 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 perf uh, the, the perfection of the climate, this would be the place to go. And it was a time for a fresh start within a fresh start. And in that area, you had the fight for freedom down south. You had different provinces, what we now might refer to as states happening. You also had an opportunity to cut your own teeth and make your own legacy. 
And we see when we go down there and we went to the Texas Land Commission, there's going to be a special on Fox News on the 17th uh, on Sunday at 8 o'clock. And we were able to go to the Texas Land Commission, which George P. Bush has, and we see the old maps then. So if you were to walk up, uh, John, and say, hey, I want some land for a nominal fee, you would go there and sketch it out. And then you would go out there and, and scope it out. And it would be your place. And it's up to you to make it productive. And it's just a pretty amazing time. And in Texas, it had a lot of promise, but it had no guarantees. But what they had is that ingenuity and drive of the American spirit. And they brought it to an area that was now getting heavily populated by Europeans and Americans. So a lot of people say, well, you know, it was technically Mexico's. Technically it was, but they've always had more Americans in there, uh, when Santa, especially when Santa Ana took over. And there were a lot of Hispanics that wanted to be Americans. And they stuck around and fought with Sam Houston. So, the, you know, this controversy, especially, you know, it's a history book. But I know it's still in the news because of what's going on at the border now. But I also think it's important, too, that at that time, in 1836, Andrew Jackson was doing everything he could to make sure we didn't have a war with Mexico. And Santa Ana had this image. He was considered he considered himself the Napoleon of this hemisphere. And he would thought one day he would take over America. Oh, yeah. He said and he'd lay Washington, D.C. in ashes himself. Like the British did. Yep. And you don't have to tell Andrew Jackson that twice. He was president at the time. So to continue to tell the story and, you know, if people are listening to this, just know we go into much more detail. Uh, Santa Ana would be captured and Sam Houston knew don't react with passion, act with uh, act with calculation. And when Jackson captured, he said, guys, we're not going to kill him like he murdered our people. We're going to negotiate. And he told uh, Santa Ana, basically, I want two things. Those reinforcements that you have coming, I know they're coming, you turn them around. So he sent a sentinel out with a letter from Santa Ana, turn them around. Number two, sign over Texas. And he did. And they still held on to him. Now, of course, they would say he was captured. He was no longer the leader. This document doesn't stand. It would cause a lot of heartache and a lot of tension between 1836 and 1845. We get into the Mexican War took place. We understand it. Then he'd be part of uh, part of America. But in the end, Santana would still be kept in country because they didn't want to let him go. He would finally be brought to Washington, and Jackson treated him as a head of state. And he talked to him about that. And you saw the ambition of Santana interaction with Jackson. And a lot of people look at Trump and they say, you know, why is Trump so deferential to dictators? It's kind of like an appreciation like boxers in the ring. You try to beat the hell out of each other for a while, and then you appreciate whatever it is they do for their country or whatever they did to win. So Jackson was the one who really made sure that he was brought back to Mexico. And, of course, he would fight in the Mexican War. He would be deposed four or five more times. He would lose a leg. Uh, he'd be thrown out to Cuba and thrown out of his country. But he kept coming back. But no doubt about it, uh, Sam Houston not only got the win, he got the guy. It's almost like a game of Stratego for keeps. Sometimes we get the opportunity, especially through quotes like one of the ones you had in your book, to look back and see just how tough people were. My favorite quote from, from your book was from Elizabeth Houston, Sam Houston's mother. And she said, My son, take this musket and never disgrace it. For remember, I had rather all my sons should fill one honorable grave than that one of them should turn his back to save his life. Go and remember, too, that while the door of my cottage is open to brave men, it is eternally shut against cowards. 
Yeah, I mean, we put that in the beginning for a reason because we want to know what made Sam Houston Sam Houston. So not only did he learn to appreciate the American Indian at that time when very few were, uh, he was one of the first to fight for American Indian rights and always had their best interest in mind. They took him in when it mattered most. They considered him adopted son. Number two is he got tremendous courage from his brothers and from his family, even though he got out of there as quick as he could. He felt he had a legacy to live up to. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, if your mom is mom, so many times shaped lives uh, for him, he knew exactly where he stood with her. And he also learned this. It's great to be brave. It's great to be strong. It's great to be fearless. But you got to be smart. And he almost died because he was one of the first over the protective uh, wall to take on the Creek Indians who just didn't miss. And he was so fearless. He got an arrow in the leg. And he had he had one of his uh, uh, fellow army men pull the arrow out, and they did it in such a brutal way. The bleeding got so bad, he almost died right there. They bandaged it up, and then he went back again despite the bleeding. And that he, that wound would never end. And he was the second one over and gets shot in the shoulder. You're not helping anyone if you get shot and wounded, let alone you die. So he had to tell a bunch of Texans who only knew about stepping forward to pull back, the runaway scrape. So when your mom tells you to fight, and fight and don't be afraid to die. I get it. But then also you got to be smart. And life is about evolving. Sam Houston evolved. And up until the day he died, he had enemies who said that he showed cowardice. I thought, think he showed calculation. And I'm a huge fan of his. But I went into Texas and they're like, well, I'm not really a Houston fan. There's still people that are going to read this book and say I'm too nice to Sam Houston. I actually think I'm being accurate. And if you read some of his words, he didn't have his own bio, but he had one that functioned at his bio. He goes into detail about it. And in the end, when he fights in uh, San Jacinto, he gets hit. He gets hit in the ankle, and it's bleeding. And it's a lot of trouble. They almost took off, the, uh, took off the bottom of his leg. He had to be shipped over to New Orleans. And when he came back, he became politicking to make sure when you're going to name a governor or first president of Texas, since they were their Lone Star State, uh, it's got to be him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I really enjoyed the book. Is there anything else you would like to add at this point? Just that this is, it's an American story. As someone who grew up in New York and studied history, this is the first one. I, we talk about the 13 colonies expanding to 18 and their survival and George Washington's Secret Six and Thomas Jefferson, Tripoli Pirates overseas. And then, of course, the War of 1812, where we almost lost all our gains. But not many people talk about how we grew and the manifest destiny behind it. Now, it's controversial. Uh, in some cases, they said we took uh, land that didn't belong. In other cases, they said we didn't do right by the American Indians. And there's a case to be made there. And I'm not looking to make it. I'm looking to recreate how we grew. We would not be the same country without the tremendous loss of the Alamo, without the victory at San Jacinto, because it gave birth to the push out west, gave opportunity, and also the true grit and valor of the American spirit was on display again. Now, just because it became the Lone Star State for nine years, it doesn't mean it wasn't uh, felt like an America, a place where Americans could go and really define what the American spirit is. 
Even to this day, people relocate to Texas for a fresh start, whether it's to run from taxes or whether it's because the vastness of it and the opportunity. And I also want to tell you, sometimes in life you lose in order to win. People celebrate the Alamo because of the way they fought, not the outcome. And I found that great. What I tried to tell you is what led to it and what happened after it and a reason to feel pride. I never said America was perfect or Americans were perfect. I haven't met anyone that is, but I think it's something to be celebrated. But first off, I think it's something to be learned. The Texas victory that made American history. We would not be the same country without Texas. We would not be the same country without the War of 1812. We would not be the same country without the Battle of San Jacinto, one in 18 minutes. But if you don't appreciate what we went through and how fragile and how impressive these gains were, you're going to be constantly questioning how great this country is. And my hope is, piece by piece, you will realize it's a pretty special place. Very well said. The book's fantastic, listeners. Uh, it's got the it's got color inserts, pictures, the maps in all of Brian's books are fantastic because they keep you up with the story and the location of the principal people within that story from battle routes. His maps give you a great oversight as to exactly where it is and what's happening there. Brian, I just want to congratulate you on this book. It's going to be a huge success. This comes out in, in November. Is that fair to say? Yeah, November 5th. And if you go to briankillme.com, you'll find out where I'll be. Uh, I'm going to all the, uh, uh, I'm going to a lot of cities I've never been before. And I think it's going to be really exciting and to have a chance to uh, meet a lot of people that support Fox and love American history. I think it'll, uh, it'll be fun. So if you go to briankillme.com, just click on tour. Maybe I'll be coming to uh, a city near you. Well, that's fantastic. Brian, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, John. Appreciate and it. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And we hope you enjoyed this interview. This book would make a great gift for anyone in the family who enjoys American history. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back next week with another one of history's best storytellers. opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.